Talking about Never Been Kissed. My guests with me today are Snarky Hag, Allianne, and Lurk Du Soleil. Hi. 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 All right. And okay, so Never Been Kissed, which is um, a classic in our little slice of fandom here. Um, and yeah, some exciting things happen. And the thing that I always think is interesting about this episode is that. It is so monumental for, you know, Blaine coming in and for this cart stuff and this storyline. And I, I kind of want to talk about the other part of the episode for a little bit because I, the more times I come to this, the more times I just am like cringing at everything else that is going on in this episode <laughs> outside of the Clane stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. I forgot about a lot of it, you know. With the Clane brain, it seems like a great episode, and then you look at the rest of it, and you're like, oh, actually, this is, like, really, really quite bad. <laughs> like, not just bad as in not well done, but, like, offensively not cool. It is. It's really awful. I mean, <laughs> I can't express how bad it is. <laughs> like, it is. Ugh. Yeah, we'll get there. Written by Brad Falchuk. Oh, man. <laughs> I just... Well, and, and like, we all... We, we often talk about um, how the Will and Beast storyline is just awful, but I actually have bones to pick with the Puck and Artie stuff, too. Oh, that one's way. fucked up. Oh, oops. I tried not to curse. <laughs> I was trying so hard. <laughs> we should have a little game. Like, people should start a... a, a shot glass game, you know, we take a shot when Lisa says fuck, I mean, <laughs> I had to change my rating because of you. I know, no. I'm so sorry, when I listened to that episode, I was like, oh my god, it's so bad, it wasn't just a little bit, it was a lot, oh, no, oh. it's okay, it just means you're very passionate about it. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that, like, right now, I'm looking at the Glee wiki, and the yeah. picture that pops up of Never Been Kissed is a screenshot of when Quinn and Sam are making out 
And there's like, well, we're just going to go with less than no chemistry with these two. And like, it's just like, it's just, you know what? It's gross. Because like, it's, ugh. Well, you can see it. They all seemed like brother and sister in a terrible way. And it's, and like, you know, this is the season when everybody was like, come on, just let Quinn be gay already. And she wasn't. But this sure seemed like maybe she'd be better off. Because, like, oh, all these dudes that she tries to get with are just like. You just swear off the deck. There's no chemistry with any of them. <laughs> off the deck. <laughs> she should have. Oh, poor girl. Oh, man. So, okay. Um, let's get get into the episode yeah, a little I'm bit. scrolling down so oh. I don't have to see that awful picture. <laughs> okay, so we come in, and the first time we see Kurt, he's um actually in a decent mood, and comparatively, because the beginning of the season, he's been, you know, his father's had a heart attack, and just, you know, things have been rough, and um, he's kind of happy, but, you know, he's he's talking about fashion and fashion week. And I noticed he and Tina are walking down the aisle again. Uh, down the aisle. Oh my God. That's what happens when I poop. I not be allowed to do this after. Um, are walking down the hallway. It's going to be one of those podcasts guys. Um, and talking about fashion and, and it's interesting. I want to take, keep a tab of this because the last time the two of them really had a scene together was theatricality when they were talking again about fashion. So, I mean, have we, I haven't followed Tina that closely, but is there evidence that she's really into fashion and whatnot? I mean, I know she likes to change up her style a lot, but it just thought it was interesting that they put the two of them together. Well, unlike some of the other girls, she does have a really specific style that takes a certain amount of uh, research in my opinion. And I think that he can appreciate that about her. Uh, and for whatever reason, I, th- I think that they're also just trying to, you know, they're just doing the parallel thing where, like, these two are walking, Kurt seems happy, and then someone gets shoved around. Oh, and maybe, maybe the reason it's always Tina when he's getting shoved around is because Tina isn't, like, you know, his champion, like Rachel comes on strong later on to be. Tina is like, well, he's getting shoved around. I'm just going to, like, scoop myself out of the way. No, I don't mean to. No, that makes me. That makes Tina sound terrible. I'm just trying to say that it's not one of his, like, super close friends. We don't see it happen in front of his super close friends. Like, he never gets shoved around with Mercedes. And I feel like if he got shoved around with Mercedes, it would be totally different because he wouldn't be so isolated. Or maybe the... You know, maybe the jocks just know better than to mess with him when Mercedes is around because she will cut them. <laughs> she will hurt them. She's tough. That's a good point. Yeah. But he is happy because he's talking about fashion. And I think this it's is fashion. when he's wearing the bow tie with the clock pieces on it. Yes. Countdown. It it's a countdown. Countdown's begun. <laughs> So, yeah, Karofsky comes and, and slams them into the, the lockers, which is, you know, not nice. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> um, and then we get to um, uh, the uh, where they're announcing the, the, um, the other groups. And um, I don't know, I guess, like... I wonder how long, because they didn't really show a lot of the bullying in the first part of the season, but, I mean, it's still kind of evident that it's there, but 
it is getting to Kurt. He's kind of quiet during everybody else is excited about all of the, you know, up up and coming competition stuff. And he's kind of just sitting there quietly. And then um, the warblers are mentioned for the first time. Yay, warblers. Actual homophobia appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, Santana with her, okay, I hold up like a million awesome gay jokes just popped into my head. And you can see Kurt is just so done with that kind of stuff. Yeah, but he just, he he looks more tired, I think, than angry. He just looked kind of exhausted, that entire scene. And it's yeah. just, it's so funny that nobody notices because it's so obvious. But, yeah, he just looks really, really exhausted. Also, at this point, if I were Kurt and they were like, oh, a competition's coming up. I think that I would also feel like, yay, I get to stand in the background and do nothing. Yeah. Like, I'm doing the same amount that these other dudes are doing who are way less talented than me. And I specifically mean the dudes, like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and then, of course, Will, who and thinks that it's a brilliant idea <laughs> to separate them into boys versus girls again. And... Even, he doesn't even, well, doesn't even look behind him and tells Kurt to get on the other side. At least that was funny. I mean, yeah. it was played for laughs and it was funny. I mean, Will sucks, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, um, oh yeah, that's right. In this scene, it's kind of interesting because he's actually, as they pan out of this shot... He's actually sitting in the middle of the guys. He, like, plants himself right in the middle. And the guys are all talking about, interestingly, they're talking about what they want to do. And he's quiet, just dead quiet. And completely alone in the middle of the guys. I just thought it was an interesting way they positioned the camera on that, actually. Okay, so... Radio silence. (laughs) Like, okay, fine, it wasn't a cool point. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, all right. So going on, um, we are moving on to Kurt's walking down the lo- down, and then Karofsky checks him again, um, or pushes him and really shoves him into the lockers. And, I mean, yeah. And then Will finally, I mean, like, it happens, and then Will notices that there's something that Will doesn't actually witness the um the actual shoving yeah so we i mean do anything about it yeah he's a uh, he's a terrible adult because he's not proactive in any way but it's like hey i see that you're laying on the ground differently than i see you laying on the ground all the time maybe what you need is a teeny tiny amount of water <laughs> and when, when he says i think it's getting to you um yeah well <laughs> yeah it's terrible it's so terrible because it's like well wow yeah go ahead. everything what really does he think being bullied does the person <laughs> well here's my thing okay so during this scene kurt is you know angry he's got all the stuff that you know this whole season and it's all building up and and Krofsky just keeps hurting him and he's just finding it harder and, and he's visibly annoyed that Will is like, okay, I'm finally noticing something is wrong. But here's the thing, like, he says to Will, you know, everybody in this town doesn't want to, you know, face up that there's homophobia running around, nobody's here for me, and your plans suck. And what does Will respond to? The actual personal attack on his, um, 
on his lesson plan. Yeah. He doesn't really think about Kurt, you know, maybe I should help this kid, maybe I should figure out what's going on with the bullying, maybe I should be proactive with the gay community, or what, well, you know. maybe I should tell his dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. That is the most, that is the laziest thing he could possibly do that would still have been effective. Call what? Bert. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just call Bert. So Will doesn't take in, he doesn't really take any of that in stride. It's like no. he, he latches on to the personal attack that Kurt lashes out, and Kurt's just lashing out. I mean, yeah, he, he does have a point in that it is kind of a repetitive and boring thing, and he's not really challenging them, and, but still. No, but this is like one of those awful. times, though, where Kurt isn't, like, he's not just speaking for Kurt. He's doing the plot exposition. He's doing He's doing the narrative role where it's like, you know, the shine is wearing off of Will, and a lot of people are seeing it. And so he expresses all these things, and Will is hurt that, like, he's that he's not glorified, that his cup of water didn't work, and that... Well, I think Will... The thing that the student though. needs, he... I don't know if he just, like, can't do it. Like, you know, we don't get to see Will, like, really struggling with something and then really hoping it's going to work. It seems like whenever he has to deal with certain students or basically anybody but Finn, he's like, well, that's out of my, like, out of my depth. I can't handle it. So, like, I'm just going to move on and do my best. Like, I don't really see him struggling as a teacher to make things fit or helpful. Like, he provides a safe space, which, okay, that's nice, but it's only so, so safe because, you know, they're they're not just catty with each other. Like these students are vicious with each other from time to time. And Will doesn't ever really do anything about it. He doesn't mediate it in any way. Hold on just a second. I think we lost Raya. Oh no. So back on. So, all right, let's jump right back in. Um, I think before, where were we? Uh, we were talking about Will yeah. in the office, and Raya, I, did you have a comment on that? I, I did. Um, okay. I wanted to say that Will is like a frickin' child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the way he responds to Kurt's little lash out, you know, Kurt says, you know, it's overdone, you're doing a terrible job, blah, blah, blah. He responds with, well, you're just mad I didn't put you with the girl team. Like a frickin' four-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Will's entire character is so subjective, consistently throughout every episode. He just lives in himself, and he can't see anything bigger than that, which is so antithetical to this, like, teacher of the year crap that we get all the time. <laughs> I don't know what Ryan Murphy thinks the teacher of the year looks like, but that it is. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's just a joke. But, like, you know, somewhere later on when people don't care so much and maybe Matt Morrison wouldn't be offended, they could be like, oh, yeah, actually, we decided sometime at the end, towards the end of season one, to make him awful. I think Matt Morrison was also, he, I think he really hated his character by the end. Well, he also hated his job because, like, you know, he got this job and he thought, hot damn, I'm the star of this TV show. And then he very quickly wasn't. And he resented it. I mean, there's all kinds of quotes for him who was like, it was super boring. I just waited around in the trailer all day to come out and write something on the whiteboard and then go back in. Like, you know, he, like anybody else, like his talents were 
pretty much squandered with this character that was like really boring. And I think for him especially, it was super frustrating because that's not like the bill of, go- bill of goods he was sold. Like he thought he was going to be the star of the show. Because I remember, well, the- like, sometime in season two, I googled, like, how much are they getting paid for this shit? And I was surprised how much he was getting paid, because he didn't seem that important. But I realized, you know, when they set up all the contracts, he was supposed to be the male lead. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, let's go on. And um, so Will decides that um, to spice things up a little bit... Um, Guys are going to do girl songs, and girls are going to do guy songs. Hold up, my so sister! Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> Who gave you that idea? Oh my god! Yeah, but that makes everything better. Just like, you're the year, right there, yes. boom. <laughs> well, at least Kurt is happy in, in that he gets a lot of ideas. Kurt is happy, and sadly, the rest of the guys are like they're fragile max- masculinity is at stake here, and they're like, oh my, no, oh no, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> well, okay, so jumping in with the scene with the guys, and um, Kurt has his little uh, display board oh, up. Oh which... my god, the swatch board, I love it. With the feathers, <laughs> did you see the feathers? Yes. He's with a picture of him like a showgirl. It's great. Oh. You know, the one on the le- the bottom left, though, because I have a still of this thing, actually, without the leopard print, um, is what they end up wearing at the end of the episode, which I'd never noticed. Well, who else but, has custom really? ideas? Oh. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess they eventually listen to... I don't even know, because he's so apart from the, the guys during this whole thing. It's amazing that the, I think at the end, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we have to do this mashup still. Here we go. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway... Kurt has all of these ideas, and Artie, with his line of, you know, you in a sequent gown is what we'd expect anyway. Yeah, fuck you, Artie. Oh, whip. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's just interesting coming from um, Rocky Horror was the previous episode, and talking about how, you know, Kurt has very um, feminine traits, but he doesn't identify as a female. He identifies as male. And he he wouldn't wear a dress, like a sequin gown like that, because that's not who he is. And the just already shut up. <laughs> well, the thing that's irritating is, like, it's not that he's feminine. He's just not afraid of having feminine qualities. And the rest of them are so hyper-masculine weirdo. You know, like, this, this episode has this kinship now between Artie and Puck. And the thing's where they come together and decide to be buddies, they're like, well, you two are awful, awful people. You're just awful. Like, you're awful men. Like, everything about you is toxic and terrible. And, like, you go out of your way to be, like, super offensive to anybody who's just slightly, like, wider than your very narrow scope. And it just strikes me, like, how, I mean, really fragile all of those boys are, and they're trying so hard to be this other kind of thing. And then you have Kurt, who is like, you know, they have him with like a light shining on him of like, he's going to embrace all these different things. He's also going to be tough as shit. Like, he's going to handle all this stuff. He's taking care of all these things. Like, he's struggling through this whole huge struggle. And the, what are the rest of them struggling with? Premature ejaculation. Like, that is their struggle. (laughs) 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 Try not to come in your pants, boys, and Tina. 
But like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the moral of this episode. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. Well, and I was giving Mike a little credit just because at the end when um, Puck is like, "Oh, visit the gargler's." Oh my god, and Kurt storms out of there, and and Mike is like, "Oh, he looks genuinely upset." Mike seems, <laughs> like, Mike a, Mike seems like such a decent person. Ryan, what were you saying? Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> I thought I heard something. He's like a decent person, and also I want to point out where like he and Tina's like romantic relationship and their sexual relationship seems like, especially in comparison to everything else, like we're being told like boys want it, girls don't. But like, like it's it's like a they're equals. They're doing things because they want to. It's very consensual. Like if they're having sex, then it's because they're both into it and they're both like healthy teenagers in a decent relationship where, like, no, there's no weird power struggle. And, like, you know, I understand why Tina maybe wants to cool down because you're at school. Maybe school is not the place to be getting off. I'm just saying. I get there's something about that astronomy classroom. Like, I don't know what it is. Everybody's always making out in astronomy It's called chemistry in there. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, but, um. I think it's tragic. But I like that they, like, the one nice thing about that stupid fucking storyline is that they have Tina and Mike in there to kind of balance it out. And mind you, they do it at Tina's expense, and they're kind of making fun of her. But I feel like, in a lot of ways, they show Tina as someone who's, like, taking control of the situation. And for that, I like it. I think it's tragic that Tina hasn't yet heard of multiple orgasms. Oh, Poor Tina. (laughs) Stop this. I'm going to have a whole poor Tina podcast. Um, all right. So uh, I always think of Samuel Jackson in in Jurassic Park when he's like, all right, guys, hold on to your butts. Because <laughs> <laughs> here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, there's this wonderful glass ceiling and this marvelous staircase and <sighs> a bunch of boys in uniform running down it. Wait. Were we recording before when I made the point about how Kurt earlier is wearing a bow tie, which later we don't realize, but later the costume department will use to symbolize Blaine. And he has a bow tie with lots of watch pieces, pieces like something, there's a countdown, there's a clock. And then the first time we see Blaine, he's got a pocket watch. I'm excited about all those connections. (laughs) I realize I sound like a... um, like a conspiracy theorist, the way I just delivered that, like what? But <laughs> but I like, like the way the costume department is so fascinating to me, and they really do tie things together. Like it can't be accidental that they have all those things. And when you look at the Dalton ceiling, it does kind of look like clock gears, or at least to me, it does. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. This all sounds crazy. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I like it. <laughs> Do we need to talk about the staircase and how they're on different levels? Oh, boy. We'll do that later. Blaine shows up. They say hi. Dude. End of story. No, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> in heaven. Oh, man. Okay. I love that he's wearing sunglasses inside. Like, that makes him less conspicuous. I don't know. I love that he's wearing shorts and knee-high boots. I never noticed he was wearing shorts until the breakup. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, he wasn't wearing that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he is. 
Kurt looks amazing. He's got some funny he does not. I mean, you know, leave it to Kurt to never be able to fit in, of course. Like, he looks kind of dressed up. He would stand out quite a bit at McKinley because everybody else is wearing, like, greasy polo shirts. But, you know, he looks kind of appropriate, like he could fit in with this group, but he's still sort of different. Um, but, yeah, I love that he, like, pulls the glasses down like he's all incognito. I mean, they didn't have him wearing a hat. That's true. I'm kind of curious as to how Dalton is set up, that he would have to come down this, like, was he wandering around, and then this big rush of people came, and then, like, he's like, oh, I should go down the stairs, too. I could totally see him, like, starting up the stairs halfway, and then people show up, and so he's like, whoop, like, casual, walking down the stairs now, la 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 la, you know. (laughs) Well, it's enough that it prompts him to stop somebody to say what's going on. So... Somebody. All right, guys. Somebody. Blaine. Blaine. And then Blaine looks like the sun came out when he sees Kurt for the first time. Oh, my God. No. Hard eyes. First thing. (laughs) He just looks shocked. Like, Like how are you real? Like, whoa. Like, the instant reaction is such a positive one. When people see Kurt, they're confused. Yeah. Or angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dane looks at him like he's the most precious thing he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Well, same Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But that's true, and he doesn't, we don't ever really get that um, in any other way. Like, this, this moment for Kurt, this tiny little bit of the scene, like, from now through the musical number, it, there's such a different feel to it from everything else that Kurt has experienced. And it's all these, like, tiny little moments, but you're right. Like, he looks at Kurt like no one has ever looked at him before. And it's all of Kurt's romantic... Like, you know, there's some part of him that's, like, the romantic fantasy alarm is just going off, like, holy shit, this is good. This is looking good for me. And then they do... And they're running in slow motion down this beautiful hallway, and Kurt's looking around like, am I... Did I hit my head? (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, I love that there's, like, he, Blaine is genuinely smiling at Kurt, and Kurt's not used to that. He touches and fixes the lapel. Oh. He grabs his hand. I just... When he touches his clothes, that's when I lost it. Just all these, you're right, all these little moments that Kurt hasn't experienced, and I don't know. I mean, and it's interesting to try and come from Blaine's point of view, because we just don't really get it. So, you know, here's a, you know. Well, we cast, it, like, to me, it looks like Blaine just has this uncontrollable reaction. Like, he sees Kurt, and he responds, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And then he's holding his hand and going not the direct path to the room, but okay, fine. <laughs> and then, like, they get there, and he's like, oh, crap, what do I do now? Like, now, now I'm going to say something to him. Maybe I'm going to touch him a little bit, because for some reason I can't stop <laughs> touching him. And winking at him. He's winking. And I'm like, you know, just the little part where he where he fixes his lapel is so fascinating because Kurt's flabbergasted. First of all, that someone's like touching him and appreciating him. Um, he's not even frustrated that someone's touching his clothes. And normally he would be like, hands off the clothes, like not cool. Well, I'm, I mean, Blaine is such a cute little goober um, that I'm sure. Like, Kurt's I, like, I, like, you know, we talk about how romantic Kurt is and he is clearly just swept away in like the past 
30 seconds have passed, and dude is gone. He is all in. And then they start singing, and he smiles. Well, Ever and smiles, and then he smiles. And then I wanted to cry, because <laughs> I'm an emotional mess. Dean is such a little shit because he led Kurt on that whole time like, oh yeah, there's this big performance, big performance going on. The Warblers are so popular and then he's the lead singer. Yeah, but like you see how Blaine, for whatever reason, Blaine cannot control himself and he wants to impress Kurt. Yeah, but it's even funnier in, in retrospect when you know that Blaine has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. Because he seems so so... Polished. He he seems to be flirting, but he just he little, is flirting. I think that he can't he can't control his reaction to Kurt. Yeah. Which I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, Blaine. <laughs> I'm just like yes, I agree with all of this, so that's why I'm being quiet over here. But um, but also I, I like the the point that um. Blaine says Glee is awesome and the Warblers are like rock stars. And when you think about, you know, the narrative at McKinley that the Glee kids were basically stomped on. So to add on all of this, that, you know, here's this cute boy who's paying attention to me and enjoying my company already after two seconds. And the Glee club is cool. I mean, it is kind of like this fairy tale fantasy thing going on. And it's, yeah, and it's, Blaine, it's really Blaine's important. Just, like, noticing him, Blaine is fawning over him. And I think it's not just really Blaine is. in that moment. It's it, what he's used to from the boys at McKinley. They're all very, very um, classic rock when they're doing their numbers together. And here's an all-boys group, and they're singing Katy Perry. Oh, and my God. I've never made that connection before. <laughs> <laughs> that and they're doing Perry the totally so revolutionary music, thing that to Oh, my God. Well, oh, wow. Wow. Someone else came up with your full, totally original idea and did it way better. <laughs> oh, man. But, I, okay, so uh, running down the hallway, um, even though I, the handhold, I get why they did it. I'm just like, why didn't you grab his other hand? Um, kind of looks like, if you look at it, it looks like if there was an accidental stumble, Lane would be putting Kurt's hand on his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a picture of it. I'll post it because it does totally look of, like he's like. Ever, let's just put this here. <laughs> have you ever seen the GIF of? I think it's the Purple Piano Project, and Blaine sits down and he like pats Kurt's lap or something because of the presidential race. But Brittany's head's in the way, and when you GIF it like oh, yeah. really fast, it looks like he's jerking off. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I have seen that. <laughs> anyway, I'm <laughs> skipping ahead a little bit. There's lots of great stuff. Oh, when we get to season three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, oh, yeah, the other thing, I mean, Kurt is, when when they're running, he's looking down that hallway, and he's just kind of, you know, amazed at the, the place, too. I mean, yes, it's definitely Blaine, but also just this whole separate world that is not McKinley. Yeah. It's a huge... Fucking gay Hogwarts. It's amazing. <laughs> Would you say Alien? What? I didn't say anything. Oh God! I did. Oh, I just see the little picture flipping, and then I'm like, "Oh, somebody's trying to talk." And I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think he entered Fairyland. If you listen to some meta, yeah. Oh, he literally entered the land of Fay. He does. He went Wittershins down a staircase, and 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cool. And you and if you look at the way, like the, I mean, it's totally, especially because if you look at the lighting in Dalton, um, throughout this episode, and I mean to a lesser extent when they're actually there all the time, but the lighting, especially when they're running down the hallway, is like, yeah, you're right. Fairyland is the best way to to describe like even how lighting is. It's like this ethereal, um, just like beautiful, comforting place. All right, so let's talk about Teenage Dream and this amazing, amazing solo. I turn into a giggling schoolgirl every time I hear it. (laughs) I'm just like, and I sing along, and I can't help it, and it's just like the perfect... And you know what's amazing is that the original is awful. (laughs) The original version is terrible. It it, it, kind of is. I remember I had... Oh, shit. But you put those warblers doing it, and I'm like, I am all in. (laughs) Yeah, but they can do anything, so... That the acapella arrangement, they, I mean, and the guys that they got to do that. Um, I am so sorry that I'm blanking on their name of the group that did it, but um, they are really amazing at it. And and this song is just, it, it deserves the accolades that it gets. Yes. Mm. I bought it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the group. It has something to do. Is, is, is it the, the Bubs or the Tufts or the? No, it's not the Tufts or something like that. It's not going to remember. Here, I'll Google it. Yeah, Google it, because it's going to kill me. <laughs> but I, you know, and I can break this song down. I mean, like, just about every lyric in this song means something. It's just, like, the perfect song. It's a kind of amazing that they found such a... I mean, Glee is good with, with song selection most of the time, but to find one that, like, just really fits in the storyline as great as this one does, I, it's... I don't know. Kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, it is. Oh, the Tufts University Beelzebubs. Beelzebubs. Oh, I yeah. was like, it's Diablo something? And then... <laughs> <laughs> El Diablo. <laughs> I was a little off. It's kind of a weirdly, like... It still seems like a weird name for an acapella group. <laughs> <laughs> so, did they... Now, were they the backup dancers in, in these numbers, or were they some of just... The war, some of the warblers are there, but not some of them are just, like, extras. Like, some of the people who we know as the original warblers are in there, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very confusing, trying to figure out who the hell the warblers are. Oh. <laughs> uh. I love in this scene how, um, well, first of all, how adorably flirty Blaine is, but also I like that they try to mask how short Darren Chris was during that. <laughs> there must be so many scenes where Darren and Leah are just standing on boxes while everybody else is around. Um, yeah. And I love the fact, like, you know, yeah. To everybody else in the school, it probably just looks like Blaine invited his boyfriend. And they're all 100% cool with it. Like, it is, there's no way that everybody, I mean, everybody's like, yeah, this is a great song. But they have to all be noticing that he is like, I fucking this kid. Like, they have to notice yeah, it. That kid isn't wearing a uniform. No like. one cares at all. They're like, great, Blaine, work your charm. Okay, you know. There's so many fantastic fics that came up during this time where it's like, 
the other jealous kids at Dalton who thought they had a shot with Blaine, and then Kurt shows up, and how much they all hate him. Yeah. <laughs> so many great crackpicks about that. And I, and you know what? It makes sense. Imagine if you were someone who had a crush on Blaine, and then Kurt shows up. Like, you're done. <laughs> Even if Blaine's an idiot and doesn't necessarily realize, like, you can't get <laughs> Kurt. Oh, yeah, and I just, oh gosh, the giddy smile on Kurt, who really, I mean, there are a few times he's happy, genuinely happy in the series before this, but just the, like, glowing grin during this whole thing, I just, mm. well, he's, he's been really with us. Huh? He so rarely smiles with his teeth. I know. Oh, that's right. They're cute. Yeah. <laughs> they do look weird, but they're cute. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I could go on and on about like the song and and the way it's done and this whole scene and um I don't know. That would be like two hours long just of me talking. And I'm sure you don't want to hear that. So <laughs> hating Will at some point. <laughs> no, I, but no, it's really a magical moment. And I know a lot of times when people when media seems to come up with glee lists of things. This is often either a scene that's at the top or the song that's at the top, and and it really is just kind of this magical moment in the show where you're like, wow, something big is happening right here. Pretty iconic um, TV moment. I mean, this thing aired in 2010. It was a different world in 2010. Yeah. It was. I mean, you don't have, you know, back then you didn't have, you know, one guy serenading another guy, a teenager, no less, mm-hmm. so... All right, so the next scene that Kurt is in is actually the scene where they have coffee in it. What I find interesting about this is that, did Kurt go back again to Dalton? Because he's wearing something different. Is he? Yes, it's totally a different day because he had a fashion change and he's wearing that confusing vest that's just the front part of a jacket. Yeah. (laughs) I love it when he wears clothes that are only partial pieces of clothes, like any kind of asymmetrical thing. Or, like, for some reason, he has just the lapel. Very mm. weird. He looks gorgeous. Yeah, he does. He looks time. gorgeous in this whole episode. He's got more of that pretty cry happening, too. Mm. Oof. But, yeah, you can totally tell that, like, they play... So, you know, they must exchange numbers or whatever, and they plan to have Kurt back, and, like, the three responsible warblers show up, and they, like, really want to... They want to do something nice. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, as Blaine says, um, he probably noticed, um, you know, here's this kid, obviously not as, you know, fine, but, not, you know, but he's back again, and maybe we should take him under, you know, there's something going on yeah. here, why don't we take him up yeah, coffee? Like the That's amazing, as a uh, parallel to, to McKinley again, because um, he's at McKinley all the time, and nobody notices how he's feeling, and he's at Dalton, like, for an hour, and he, they invite him back, or he goes back by himself, but they know something's going on with him. And it's not even just Blaine who does it. It's like the it's like the entourage of the Warblers have decided, like all these other non-gay kids also care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool thing. Like his, uh, I like that little moment where he's like, and he's a little scared to ask it, but he's like, "Are you guys all gay?" And and they kind of laugh, so he retreats a little bit. But then you know, Blaine says that he is, and Kurt tries to like, oh, Kurt's okay. eyebrow goes up, and he gets this fantastic smart like, oh. <laughs> you can see that in his head he is dancing. 
but um, you know, but the other two are really cool about it. I mean, they talk about the no bullying policy. I mean, which is a, a little idealistic anywhere. I mean, unfortunately, you're always going to have something going wrong. But th- that's the point of um, Dalton at this point is to be this kind of haven for Kurt. And yeah, and then Blaine, of course, recognizes. Okay, you know, I kind of see what's going on here. Maybe we should just have a one on one. And and Kurt gets to interact with somebody else who's gay for you know, the first time, and, or, I mean, at least I think so. That he knows. That's, I mean, I guess Sandy doesn't really count, but, you know. Well, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, yeah, so, like, Blaine kind of shifts into this knight in shining armor, you know, and, and we do get a little backstory about him here, but. Yeah, yeah I like that he's, you know, he's like a kindred spirit and he's sympathetic. Um, and that's, I think, when you see, like, the friendship really starts. Because when Blaine starts learning about what Chris got going on, he really wants to be his friend. Like, he wants to be, it just sort of seems like whatever, whatever Kurt puts out there, Blaine reacts to it and is like, I want to be that thing. I want to be the thing. Whatever you want, I want to be the thing. We have so few examples of people who, like, genuinely want to respond to what Kurt's feeling. And, they, like, we have the antithesis of Will, who, you know, Kurt expresses himself a little bit and basically is told to, like, well, that sucks for you. And then you have this other character who is trying to fill every possible need that he could have. Like, Blaine is so dreamy, but also, like, so desperate to, like, be all the things for Kurt. And when we get to the scene later on on the stairs, you see that happen again, and he's conflict like he's desperate to be all the things, and he's also you see that con- he's conflicted like what exactly is the best thing to do because he's also trying to be more mature than he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a real he's got an image that he is projecting, which a lot of it is simply an image, and he's trying really hard to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to put this in context with the rest of the series because here he he comes off as as very mature and knowing and hey I've had these experiences and this is how I deal with them and let me give you advice and pass on things and there's a lot more insecurity to blame as a character that we don't get to see until much later that um, when you put it back over the scene it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Well, he's such a supporting character, and that's because, you know, he's a genuine, empathetic person. It's not just that he's, like, desperate to be loved, but he also, he enjoys being supportive. And to have someone show up when when all the other um, perspectives we get on Kurt is that he's being drained, he's got nothing, he's by himself, like, what friends he has aren't, aren't meeting whatever need he has. Like, he clearly still has all those friends. He's clearly still friends with Mercedes, but she's mm-hmm. not around, and she's not not able to do the things in this particular arena you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because one person can't do all the things right right and that is why you have you don't you have more than one friend i mean there are people in your life you know for different reasons and and whatnot and but having blaine here for kurt is is a big thing for him at this point in his life Yeah. yeah and i think it's also a big thing for blaine because i think blaine needs a friend too but Blaine is also really, really trying to be someone else, someone who hasn't had maybe who hasn't had those experiences that we later learn that he's had. I think mm-hmm. also part of it. But he's Blaine needs a friend as much as Kurt does, 
Yeah. And, yeah, he likes, and you know, he likes to be the knight in shining armor. He gives terrible advice. Jesus Christ, yes. he gets her killed. But, you know, he's yeah, that's actually, the next thing my notes the like advice 15, he's giving him is so I gotta give him a, give him some credit. I think that um, well, if he didn't, the plot wouldn't work. Jeez, cut the slack. He has to move the plot forward. Yeah. Okay. Move the plot forward by giving him advice that totally endangers him. But I mean, but he's not an adult. If Will did it, I would be outraged. I'd be so mad. But you know. Well, and I think that says something a little bit about Blaine. I mean, here's this kid who, um, you know, got beat up for being gay, and so he transferred. I mean, he talks about, and I feel like this comes back to his character later on in the series, but he he ran away, and I think that haunts him a little bit. Yeah. And um, he he doesn't want Kurt to go down that, you know, he's like, all right, this is, you know, where I am failed, not, you know, failed, but, you know. I don't want you to do this, so here's this questionable advice you, I'm going to give you. But you Blaine doesn't have anybody either to, I think you're right, Blaine needs a friend or somebody too because he doesn't really have anybody giving him advice either. He yeah, means well. He's trying to be a mentor without really being able to be one, but he means well and, and he really, he doesn't want Kurt to be, uh, to get beat up or anything. He doesn't want, want to put him in danger. He really thinks he's helping him, but yeah, he's not qualified to be a mentor for him. Yeah. It's, just, it's not his, it's not his fault. He's not a teacher. He's not an adult. And yeah, he means well, but yeah. I think what I like about their relationship is the way each of them inspires the other. Like Kurt very much inspires Blaine to be more than just this uniformed person. Like he, he inspires Blaine to come out and really flourish into this awesome short pants, bow tied wearing weirdo who we love. <laughs> you know, he's adorable. Yeah. He's not, I mean, he's still proper. He still eats his salad with a knife and fork. <laughs> the knife is weird. But, you know, like, you get to see them, like, from this point on, they have these parts of themselves that are around, and together they kind of grow into better versions of themselves. And it's complicated, sure, but, but I like that we get to see those parts of their friendship. I think it's yeah. really telling that the only time that Blaine admits his feelings for Kurt is when Kurt has taken him off the pedestal. I think Blaine yeah. is used to people putting him up on a pedestal, yeah. especially since Dalton. And I think that, you know, that's what Kurt's doing here. He's putting Blaine up on this pedestal, following his advice and, you know, bringing him in to, to mediate between him and Karofsky and... And, you know, there's an interesting parallel between Blaine and Rachel where they both... Um, from friends, not not Kurt in this way, but like from friends and family and society, they get told their value is like their talent and the thing, the ways that they can shine. Not so much the people that they are. Mm-hmm. So when Kurt says to him, "Look, you can do all this amazing stuff, but like you're not a perfect person, but I still like I still like you." I think that it says a lot to Blaine in terms of him understanding that he's more than just this performer to Kurt. Mm-hmm. Like he's a, he's an actualized, fully fleshed out person. And, that's and that allows him thinking. to tap into other parts of his brain and his heart where he can be more than just the lead singer of the Warblers. Yeah, and it takes yeah. the pressure off. He doesn't suit. have to be perfect. Yeah. 
And you look at how, I mean, it's hard because we don't get enough information about his family, but you look at how that relates to how things work with Rachel. Well, Rachel's really only praised because she has this talent. And it's really sad for her because she's more than just her talent, but she's really, even over the whole arc of the series, she's not allowed to be more than just this super talented person. It's like the only place where people will put value in her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can definitely see that parallel. Okay, um, before we move on, I just want to make three tiny little points. Um, one is about the costuming. I just, I don't know, I'm just looking at these stills, and it's kind of Kurt's gray against Blaine's blue and red. I don't know, it's just very pretty. Or I don't know. Well, they're pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the acting, I want to just, you know, give Chris a uh, nod here, because when he's doing his little speech, there's this moment where he's beginning to cry and he kind of chides himself for it and then goes back to kind of like, you know, he, he's very vulnerable for like a split second yeah. and then kind of wipes it away and it's like, never mind, I'm going to be, you know. And it's just all in these nonverbal little ticks of the face and I'm just like, what is that even, you know, Chris that's just an amazing actor. And, such control of his face. Oh. And then um, I, I want to give uh, go back and give Darren some credit for it. I, nobody. I just have never seen a performer like him, and it comes through in Blaine, and it's just part of the reason that scene was so magical. And I just I don't know. It's really to me really brilliant to see these two guys go up against each other and act and, and be this iconic couple. So I don't know. Blaine's got charisma. You can't like there isn't a point when Blaine does and have charisma. Which is, I mean, that's clearly like that's a talent of Darren's and that's something you can't even learn or teach. It's just yeah, amazing. Alright, so um, so I wonder does Blaine, you know, text Kurt uh, courage like a hundred times or does Kurt just keep staring at the one text? I'm message? assuming that they email a lot because Kurt has like 142 unanswered emails on his phone. It's 124, because I'm starting to They're all plain. <laughs> I'm glad that I remember the numbers. But not it's all Here's plain. my school picture. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, when you get the, 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 the first text uh, with courage, it's during the girls' mashup, isn't it? It's, yeah. Is that the mashup where yep. uh, Heather, Leah, in the face with the microphone during rehearsal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... Watching that and wondering about that. <laughs> so, yep, there's the girls' mashup, and Kurt's not paying attention. He's too busy staring at this one text. So, yeah. And then, um, and then we get to um, the reality time here of Kurt staring, you know, again at his text message from Blaine, and um, Krofsky comes up and tries to and, break his phone. <laughs> <sighs> Well, I always get when he you know, shoves it and he drops it and he doesn't go back after. I'm gonna like pick that thing up. I'm like my freaking phone. I but anyway, think about the girl who picks it up <laughs> and gives it back to him. No, they're totally a one. She's just a do-gooder. She picks it up. She reads some stuff. She has courage. She finds him. He's crying. She walks away. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this locker room scene, which is, I mean, every person I've ever watched this with for the first time has been just shocked. 
So with, with at this point in time, I didn't have my own Tumblr, but I lurked around about it. But I wasn't really aware of spoilers at all, so I had no clue. Yeah, and same here. Happened, I was not like, lying when I watched it. Like, my mouth fell open, and I was like, holy crap! And it, it all made so much sense. Like, it worked so well. And the two of them were so perfect. Karofsky is perfect. He's tortured. He's mad. He's, like, freaking out in all kinds of ways. Yeah, it's a it's a really horrible scene, but it's really, really wonderfully done. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, just his... I mean... Max Adler is really great. Yeah. Um, because the way he does it and, you know, the way he tries to go back in, like, he's totally misreading the situation. Like, this is a kid who has seen anger be read as passion. Mm-hmm. And well, you, what you see in his eyes is, like, so many different things, but you also see this hope of, like, oh, you know, maybe he's going to be into this. Like, because you can imagine, like, in that moment, you suddenly get, like, all this backstory of, how much has he been thinking about Kurt for the last year? Like, mm-hmm. Kurt is his obsession. And, you know, he's got to have any number of ways that this could play out in his mind. And there's got, you see in his face for just a second, you know, maybe he's going to be into me. Like, maybe this is going to be good. Well, and the line before all of this happens, is Kurt's real big line of, you can hit me because you're not going to change who I am. And you can't punch the gay out of me any more than I can punch the ignoramus out of you. And um, that's when Karosti's like, you know, still... What's another one of those times when Kurt is like like completely fierce and the other person's like, oh my God, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do think we should make a point of saying, you know, this is, there's no... Consent from Kurt here. No, wrong. Yes, it's bad. But I. But you can understand. Like, it's such a confusing moment. For, like, Kurt. Kurt's not confused because he only sees one piece of it. But for Karofsky, there's like four or five different things going on, and he's and he's pushed completely to this like emotional brink, and he's gonna lash out in some way. Doesn't know what to do, and. You know, is it better or worse than him punching Kurt in the face? Hard to say. Um, but you see him like he's he's just this trapped animal, and he he kind of like he he wants to tell Kurt, and he's he's Kurt's right. Like you you can't get rid of the gay about it, and I think that's what kind of inspires Karaski to go for it. Yeah, and that's I mean, it's just so. It's so fascinating. It's such a fast. There's so much in this scene, and it's all just like little shifts of the eye, and the way that like his because I'm looking at a picture right now. The way like Karofsky's fingers are like holding onto Kurt's face. Like there's all this desperation and like frustration and anger and panic, and then they break apart, and Kurt is like confused and disgusted and scared. You can tell that he's scared. Um. And there's a lot in this episode with people just being pushed to a breaking point. Like, the first time Kurt shouts after him in the hallway, he also just snaps because he's been pushed for so long. And this is another mm-hmm. point of Karofsky snapping because he's been pushed to a breaking point. And, and I think, yeah, it's just a, another theme in the episode. I don't, I don't know if it's in the other storylines as well. And I didn't you really watch that. that but. 
that whole stupid idea that like you know little boys like to push and pull on little girls because they like because <laughs> they're like desperate to touch them and so Karaski for a long time has had a way to touch Kurt without seeming vulnerable and it's fucked up because he's hurting him and being just generally awful it but gets worse it gets so much worse it gets to the point of sexual assault almost well I mean isn't that what that is well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. it gets it gets more focused and more deliberate and more it, planned. It gets and, terrifying, so terrifying. Yeah, and it's there's all this like, you know, there's Karofsky. He just he has no he has no tools to deal with any of it, and the only person he can go to to deal with it, possibly kind of, is Kurt, and that's a really fucked up situation. It is, but I think it's also, at the same time, it's a very good example of, I mean, um, Kurt breaks or, or snaps because he's been pushed emotionally and physically. I mean, the shoving and everything, but I think Karofsky is a very good example of how you can put so much emotional stress on a person that they just snap and, and, and also, I mean, he physically assaults them, but it's a result of being under so much emotional pressure and, and, and stress. And I think it's a very good example of, of something like that, that people who just don't have uh, an outlet for these things, don't have anyone to talk to, they just get pushed until they break. And I also think that, you know, he's a, as far as we understand, he's a white male, a white straight cis male in the middle of Ohio who's used used to being in the position of possibly getting what he wants. And, you know, we joke about, like, imagine if you were one of those Niata students with Kurt Hummel walking around the hallway. Like, imagine if you're Karofsky. And you're you're not only closeted, but you're conflicted and you're confused. And there's this, like, one-of-a-kind, amazing creature walking around. You can't ignore him. Sometimes the pants are very tight. Sometimes the outfits are very confusing. Like, there's got to be all this, like, twisted up, like, sexual attraction and confusion and frustration and, like, all these different places going all these different ways. Because... Kurt can walk around and get away with it, but he can't. He can't. Well, yeah, I was going to... How much is this of Karofsky really um, attaching himself to Kurt because of actual Kurt? Or because here's this gay kid who seems to be out and proud, and I can't deal with any of this stuff. And kind of Karofsky just... There's there's nobody else to latch on to. Well, I mean, I think that he gen I think he's genuinely like interested in Kurt in that way. But also Kurt is his mentor. I mean it's funny that Blaine shows up as like, Oh, he's the gay mentor. But Kurt's <laughs> actually the gay mentor here. And he continues to be for Karofsky. You know, we see it in the Valentine's Day episode, we see it all the way the very last season. Um Kurt is someone who who like leads him through the path and they're not they're not close. They can't ever be friends because of this really complicated, terrible stuff. And they kind of, they reach like this weird, easy piece right before prom, you know, but I think that Kurt definitely is like, he, he's gotta be everything in this kid's head. You know, he's like showing him how to do things, making him want things, making him think about things, you know? Well, and getting, I'm going to get back to the Kurt portion of this. At the end of the scene, Kurt is, you know, all of these emotions and, and 
you know, fearful and shocked and all of this, but he's also frozen and, you know, he's finally kind of, you know, come into standing up for himself and whatnot and goes after Krosky and expects a showdown and a fight, but he doesn't expect this and he's just confused. So confused. Stunned that he can't even move. But, and then, yeah, no idea. Along with the theme of the episode, Krosky kind of steals his first kiss. I mean, after. There's this lingering shot of him where where Kurt's kind of like still feeling it on his lips, and he's just the realization of like Krosky took that thing that you know Kurt wanted to have a very special. He's just the type of kid, this romantic kid who wanted the you know first kiss to be this amazing thing, and he got Krosky. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he had the romantic fantasy. He got to run down the hallway. It seemed like everything was going to go well, but that's not how things go for you, Kurt. Sorry, it's Glee. You're going to get shat on a few times. That's Glee. <laughs> but for the good of the series, Kurt takes a hit. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, uh, without this, this would be a really awful episode. I mean, you could talk about this episode in terms of, like, is it about consent? Since the guys are trying to not, like, ejaculate all the time, and clearly no one's talking about that. But it just seems more like it's about things being different than they seem. Or at least, like, they're tr- they're trying to pull the theme together of, like, girls can be like boys, boys can be like girls, Karofsky can be kissing you, Tina can al- also want to cool down, you know? Mm. I mean, the rest of the episode is awful. It's just awful. It's so offensive. That stuff that they do with Puck and Artie and Santana and Brittany is, like, I wanted to burn the house down. Ugh! Yeah. <laughs> to, to segue a little bit, um, because the next scene that Kurt's in is actually when Will is telling them off. Um, he's so confused. Uh, he's so he's like, he turns to Mercedes, he's like, "What the hell have I been missing? Well, I've been adult." <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. And I like um, all the girls are confused, and then uh, Mike's like, "Yeah, Tina's doing it too." <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but going on, we, we then we have the next section where um, he brings Blaine to stand up to Karofsky. Which is, is hilarious because Blaine is a teeny tiny person in a, in yeah. a blazer. And Karofsky's <laughs> as big as both of them. And again, staircase. Yeah, but this is the first time Kurt has ever reached out to anyone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. It's the first time. It's the first time Kurt has said, "Hey, I need help. Please help me." Yeah. And I think that's huge. That's true. Yeah, that he has someone he trusts like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume I'd like to assume that they, you know, not just texted but talked on the phone for a little while, and finally Kurt's like, "Will you come help me with this?" And Blaine's like, "Of course, I'm going to come help you with this." I think Blaine offered. Oh, that's cool. That seems like something I, he just, would do. It does, yeah. Like, oh, and I do think they talked on the phone like nonstop for the next three days. Like they met and then they talked on the phone all the time, mm-hmm. or texted, or whatever the kids do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting about this scene because you know, um, where Blaine is like, "Okay, I'm gonna you know help stand up for you," and Krosky starts pushing Blaine around, and then Kirk steps in, and it's. Not so much that Kurt needed, you know, Blaine to fight all the battles, but just to have somebody at your side, because Kurt can very much stand on his own, but it's it's kind of an interesting, like, a teamwork thing as opposed to... I love that Blaine shows up like he's going to be the grown-up. He's the smallest, youngest one of all of them, but we don't know that yet. 
But he shows up, like, basically in the teacher role. Like, he's going to totally handle the situation. He's completely out of his depth. And, like, the tables turn really quickly, and he gets shoved up against the fence. And as soon as he does, Hulk Kurt. (laughs) What the hell? Like, it could also just be that Karofsky was like, oh, my God, he's touching me. But, like, you know, Kurt fucking... Like, that is a big kid, and he's able to shove him out of the way because, you know, you don't fuck with the Hummel. That's just how it is. <laughs> I always, you know, times have definitely changed in that Krofsky's line where he's like, oh, is this your boyfriend? And we're like... Doesn't he sound jealous? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds so jealous. Like, he, he doesn't want it to be true, but he's going to ask, but he's going to ask like a dick because he's still trying to have the upper hand, you know? But he's just like, you know, you look at Blaine. Of course Blaine's Kurt's boyfriend. Everyone knows him but Blaine. (laughs) (laughs) Blaine needs a while, yes. But Blaine also sounds like he's just, like, I don't know, swallowed a book on on communication or whatever. He he sounds like he's just watched a YouTube video on conflict resolution. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he probably did. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, Blaine is, you know, we know that Blaine was written to be Kurt's boyfriend in some, like, you know, they weren't sure how well it was going to work, but we know that, like, that was a possibility of the character and so Blaine is like completely textbook everything Kurt would want mm, like yeah. every possible thing and Except so you know this, decides he's this not- manifestation of a fantasy appears on the McKinley steps and Karofsky rightly is like is this your boyfriend <laughs> but yeah oh that blue jacket where can I buy that jacket I still want that jacket. And the scarf. It's a good... The scarf, I think I could I could jimmy that up. I could make that from what I have. But the jacket is amazing. Yeah. And that moment where you see Blaine trying to decide, like, am I going to kiss this kid right now, or is that not the cool thing to do? Oh, don't skip over the funny line. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he is not coming out anytime soon. I'm I love sorry. that we get, like, dorky Blaine really early. Okay, now we can go back to the other thing. Go ahead. It's your podcast. I'm just going no, to no, thing and peeing. No, no. no. What, I was, what I was actually thinking when I was watching that is, if this had been season one, someone would have been trying to teach someone else what it means to be a man in this <laughs> Yeah, That's true. Well, once again, I'm going to point out that while Glee talks about this be a man thing with all the other characters <laughs> to the point where you just want to vomit, the yeah. showing what it means to be a man happens through Kurt and Blaine yes. and Frosky. Like, yes. these people who are, like, showing all these different things of this, like, whole huge run. Yeah. Even they don't even have to say it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that I, yeah, that's such a great moment at this staircase where Kurt is opening up and, and being... Like, you know, telling, and Kurt, this isn't something that Kurt does very often, but he, he's being honest about his emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Blaine. Yeah, and more crying. More, and and more the crying. conflict with Blaine about wanting, do I kiss this kid? Do I give him that moment? Or do I just be his friend and be there for him? And he chooses the latter, which is, you know, good for you, Blaine. That's, that's probably the best way to go. Well, he doesn't want to screw it up. <laughs> no. So, however, he gets so stuck in that mold, he kind of is oblivious to... Oh. <laughs> that adorable idiot. He represses himself so much that it just 
completely overtakes him. Well, he's mm-hmm. terrified of losing Kurt. He doesn't want to lose. He's, he's convinced that he's not really good enough, right? In, on some level. That's, that's where his character comes from. And he's trying to be perfect, but he knows he's not perfect. And he has Kurt in his life, and he, he just doesn't... He's terrified of losing it because Kurt is so important. I mean, I don't think he understands that it would be hard to lose Kurt. I mean, they tried. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah, but again, I think he just really needs a friend, and now he has one. And yeah. I think that's where his thought process just ends at that point, because it has to. Yeah. Just, oh, friend, nice. <laughs> yeah, Let's go eat lunch yeah. and hang out and, and Kurt's talk. Kurt's totally and... reading it wrong. Kurt's like, oh my god, he's taking me out on a date. He's thinking <laughs> about it. I love that he's like... When they walk down the stairs and Kurt's little look on his face where he's like, well, at least this boy's buying me lunch. <laughs> you know, like, I'm making well, some headway here. Well, and think and, about, like... And in Kurt's mind, he's probably going on a date. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor Kurt. <laughs> he's already got the... When did he get the picture, right? Yeah. He already got the 8 by 10 in his locker. <laughs> did we oh. give that to him? Like... I kind of can see that, though. Like, here, kid, here's my picture. <laughs> I can see both things. There's this, this uh, art thing going around on Tumblr where Kurt steals the picture. That's really funny. But I can just as well see Blaine just handing them out to everyone. Like, here's a picture. Signing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kurt printed it. I think Kurt printed it, too. Yeah, that probably yeah, makes the most logical sense. It's just funny. He's got a lot of time for craft projects. Yeah. I mean, he cut it out all the magazine things to write courage and and make that little shrine and post it on his locker. Yeah, being a little creepy I, there, Kurt. Let's it's interesting that it's positioned a little higher on his locker, so he's literally looking up to Blaine. Yeah, that's the one and only time. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they make him stand on a box. But whenever they're on the stairs, Blaine's always at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> oh, that's not true. When they um. When he gets the part in the play and Kurt gives him the flowers, Blaine's up there and Kurt's appreciating oh, it. Right. We can meta. So the the stairs meta isn't. It's not. Kurt's always not up there, but yeah. Um. But yeah. The, then we get the, that ending beat where he's looking and he's got this picture of Blaine up there and he's kind of daydreamy and he's kind of got this fantasy world and then Krosky shoves him into a locker again and. It's kind of this contrast about you know fantasy versus reality, and and he's wearing gold, which is part of the clean colors. So I'm into it. Also, that sweater is amazing. I want those sweater. That sweater boots combo. Had that come up on the Glee auction, I probably would have bought it. And so yeah, that's kind of the end. The only I mean, there's the little the the boys song, which um. Kurt's not really in that storyline at all, but he's still there for the boy's song. Um, this is what I like but, about the boy's yeah, song. Same as the Donna episode. I like that when they do the song, um, they like there's that, there's a cohesiveness to the boys, which is good because they seem totally out of sync. But I also like that then the boys go over to like shimmy dance at the girls, and Kurt goes to Mercedes and is like giving her a lap dance. Oh, I love that. It's so sweet and special. And so it's like, you know that they're still super close. You know that he hasn't lost Mercedes at all. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, she's not around for this part of him. 
Mm-hmm. Which we get to see more of soon. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just an interesting how they write this particular storyline so well. I mean, the the way they constructed it is so fascinating and so effective with all the stuff with Krofsky and how Blaine deals with you know, helping out Kurt, and then they have the Beast Will storyline where Will feels like he needs to kiss Coach Beast to oh my God. solve that problem. And it's, I'm like, how can you, in the same episode, write something so well and then something so just, just no? Really well, I'm going to point out that, like, the character of Beast is played by someone who does a fantastic job with her character. Yeah. And the Karofsky, Kurt, Blaine characters are also played by actors who you can give them crap and they can really make a meal out of it. And whatever they're struggling with to give... Like, this story that's being told about Karofsky, Kurt, and Blaine is like a natural... Like, this story makes total sense. They didn't have to come up with this kind of, like, wacky idea. It's just a good story. And the rest of the stuff just seems so contrived and weird and like it's like they they can't figure out how to write male female relationships at all um they can't seem to write anything with will that doesn't just make me want to vomit um well and i like at least the beast storyline has you know connection to kurt i'm still trying to figure out how the will or the puck arty stuff just it doesn't seem to fit in very well because no one's kissing them I guess so, but I don't know. But it's so it's I don't know. It's just an interesting episode in that I, I mean, one of those gooey episodes that there's so part of it that's so good and part of it that's so bad, and it's like how do you really you know talk about it as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say that it's because I care about some of these some characters and not others that allows one part of it to be better. But I also think the difference between the A, B, and C plots, I mean, I think the Kurt storyline is the B plot. I think the A plot is this ridiculousness with the trying not to ejaculate. And then yeah. the C plot is Puck and Artie. And, you know, I obviously I naturally tend towards Kurt because Kurt rules. But the rest of it is just, like, it's just not that good. And the songs aren't very... There's There's hardly any songs. Really? Yes. There's only four? Yeah. I think so. It's the two mashups? I like the girls' mashups. Okay, I will admit that. I do like the girls' mashups. I yes, do. Yes, and yes. I actually don't hate One Love, which is the party. I hate oh, it. <laughs> I don't really like it. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's the greatest thing they've ever done. I just didn't, like, but I don't think, I, I don't know. I always, It's something I always fast forward through because it's the scene right before the, the first claim scene, so... Like, I don't need to hear this again. I mean, the whole mashup thing is maddening to me, because, like, there are a lot of women that do hard rock. I can think of five right now. You know, like... And so it's just insane to me that that it had to be, like, so stereotypically male-female, where it's like, does does Will really not understand? Like, he's never... Has he never heard of Joan Jett? Like, what's wrong with him? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, that that was my thought, too, because it's just, like... It's what? like he knows nothing about music. It's not man music or whatever, it's just... <laughs> man music. <laughs> I think that's the name of this podcast, the one with the man. <laughs> I don't know. 
I appreciate what I appreciate about Kurt in this season is pretty much any time that he sings, he's like, oh, let me just point out how wrong Will is, and then sing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I right, wish that so... there were more kids in New Directions doing the same thing, but the rest of them seem, I don't know, busy. Maybe it's finals. I don't know. Uh, whatever. <laughs> you know, whoever's dating Quinn right now is trying really hard to, you know, be respectful about how hot she is or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Well, all right. Any last thoughts before we we wrap this up here? Hmm. Nope. All right. Well. Well, at okay. this point, I'm going to say that in my opinion, "Teenage Dream" has just become a Darren Chris song. Yeah. I've heard it way more from Darren Chris. That's how I think I he's done better than with from now on. I think Katy Perry kind of just let him have it. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for talking about this amazing episode. Or well, it's amazing. <laughs> um, okay. And, yeah, uh, we'll talk again soon. Will be suspicious. Your lips look delicious. My brother will be there at the door. Waves upon the tropical shore. My name is Buffalo. I want some more. What are you waiting for? Take a bite of my heart tonight. Whether life disabilities bless you out past will lead or cease. Rejoice and love yourself today. Cause baby, you were born this no. way. So raise your glass if you are wrong. In all the For this moment to arrive This could be the end of everything Someone only go Somewhere only we know We taught the world New ways to Dream